0: Chishon, Jay Will, and Zubin, the podcast.
1: It's cross-sport pollination because one of the most famous baseball players of all time said this, but it's deja vu all over again for the Cincinnati Bengals. They have a young, great, promising quarterback lifting them to new heights. And Joe Burrow is out with a left knee injury tweeting the news himself. For many, it made people think back. To about 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, when the great Carson Palmer was drafted first overall by the Cincinnati Bengals in 2003. In 2005, to show you how great this guy was out of the gate, in 2005, just a couple years after sitting behind John Kittner for that one year, 32 touchdown passes, Bengals were 11-5, and the Bengals were on their way, and then Carson in a playoff game had his knee injured, much like Burrow had it injured in a regular season game. He understands the perspective of Burrow, and he understands what it's like to be a Bengals signal caller. And he joins us this morning on the Shell Penzoil performance line. He's also got experience with Bruce Arians. We'll talk about that with Tom Brady tonight. And it's great to have him here. Good morning, Carson. Um, what was your reaction with your personal experience when you saw what happened to Joe yesterday?
2: Well, the first thing I thought was it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, they're, they're a two-win team. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not winning the Super Bowl this year. Joe was getting the absolute lung beat out of him every week. I mean, you go back to the, the Pittsburgh game a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks before that against Baltimore, he was just getting hammered up and down the field. So, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's a knee injury, but, um, I, you know, for him, for the rest of his body not to take the wear and tear of the next five or six weeks the way he was taking it the first seven or eight weeks. I think it's a blessing in disguise. You know, he he uh now he has some time to, to let his body heal up, get his knee right, they'll have a higher draft pick and, and start all over again next season and, and hopefully have a better team around him.
3: Carson, how you doing, bud?
2: I'm great. I'm great, Key. Good to talk to you, man.
3: Yeah, man. I don't I don't want to put you on the spot with this because I know at at times you had a, a kind of rough relationship with the Cincinnati Bengals, but does this kind of I don't know, put the blame on the Bengals for the offensive line not being intact?
2: No, I mean, it's at the end of the day, he was the number one overall pick, and he went to the worst team. And they're not going to get good overnight, but it's going to take time. It's going to take years. Like I said, I mean, he, he, he was getting just crushed week in, week out, and I loved his toughness. I loved his resiliency. He, you know, he bounced back up and continue to play, continue to fight, and they're and a bad football team at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see him throwing the ball less. I mean, he was throwing the ball 40-something times a game. As a rookie, that's, that, I think that's just, you know, that's too much. You know, you can't have so much on your shoulders. Um, but that, that, that team will continue to, to grind. They'll continue to get better, Hopefully. Like I said, without Joe now, they're, they're probably going to wind up with a top one or two pick um, in the draft. And so they'll have a chance to trade it if, if there's a quarterback sitting there and get more more picks um, and get more draft capital, which is exactly what they need right now.
3: You're listening to Carson Palmer, former NFL quarterback, joining us here on Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin this morning. Um, if it is an ACL, Carson, what type of recovery is Joe facing?
2: it's a grind. I mean, at the end of the day, when, when you blow your ACL out and and they go in, they cut you open, they have to go in and and retie it or or put a new ACL in. So you back up and you just got to start over again. You got to start, you got to teach yourself how to walk, how to jog, how to run, how to jump. Um, but nowadays, I mean, it's guys are recovering so much faster now than they used to. It used to be a 12 month deal. Now it's like an eight month deal. So you know, the good news is Joe has plenty of time. Um, we all have heard stories about how hard he works, how focused, how serious he is. So, just knowing the, the little bit um, that the public knows about the way that Joe works and the way he grinds, he'll be back within eight months. He'll be ready to play, and hopefully the first preseason game, but maybe the third preseason game of next season, and, and he'll be fine at the end of the day.
0: Carson, the Bucks play the Rams on Monday Night Football this evening. You play for Bruce Arians. What are your thoughts on how he's openly criticized Tom Brady?
2: Well, that's just Bruce. I mean, Bruce has never been one uh, to bite his tongue around the media. And and he won't say anything in the media that he doesn't say in the team auditorium when he's speaking to the team. So, um you you know you got to have tough skin and, and thick skin and and we know that Brady has tough skin and thick skin from all his years in, of New England and, and his experience in the in the, in the league but um, it just comes hand in hand when, when you play for Bruce you need to be ready you know you' after a loss you walk into that team room you never know who he's gonna start off on mm-hmm. in that first team meeting after a tough loss you never know what he's gonna say in the media um, and and Brady I, I think you know Brady played for Belichick. I think he's totally okay with with uh, with somebody getting on him and yelling and screaming. And, and I know Bruce does that too. So it's just part of the deal. When you play for Bruce, you got to be ready for it.
1: Carson, I got to quickly mention one thing. Key's going to get a uh, a kick out of this. I know many people in the TV world have been asking you to do more of this, and it's pretty obvious why we're listening to you break it down this morning. I know you're in California this morning. You spend a lot of time there in Idaho and Key. I was uh, near Carson's place. I'm not going to (laughs) reveal Carson's location, but I was at a restaurant called the Pioneer Saloon, big place, taxidermy, deer, all that stuff on the wall, prime rib, (laughs) the baked potato. The article recently written, Carson actually gave the commencement speech at the uh, high school there, the community Uh school, doing great things in the community there. And uh, I think somebody was at the restaurant, Carson, correct me if I'm wrong, and they recognized me and they said, they said, wait, Carson Palmer from USC? And they sent over a bottle of wine. Do I have that right?
2: How do you, yeah, what, you know, you know speakers and cameras everywhere? How do you know this
0: stuff? Carson, I'm telling you, he does it every damn show with us. You're like, where does that come from?
1: He's very sneaky. <laughs> I cannot reveal my sources, but it is great that, you know, look, you won the Heisman Trophy, what, 2002, right? Who's your Heisman Trophy? Really? Who are you going to vote for? Because you got a lifetime vote as a winner.
2: Uh, this year, that's a really good question. It's been so hard to watch college football every, uh, I mean, it seems like every other game's getting canceled. I, I don't know right now. I mean, I, there's so much football that needs to be played and so little football that's been played so far. My Trojans have only played three games and, and uh, we beat Utah on Saturday night and it was Utah's first game in November. So, um, if I had to pick somebody right now, I, I would throw uh, Keaton Slovis in there. He's played really, really well, the quarterback at SC. And When he's needed to at, at the last down of the game and the last second of the game, he's found a way to, to get his Trojans to 3-0. So that's where my pick is right now. But there's still a lot of college football left to be played.
1: Light on, Key?
3: Yeah, well, Carson knows what to do. I, I don't even need to say anything. Carson knows what's right. He knows who to pick.
1: Great stuff. I'm over a saloon. bottle of wine. How do you know that? I cannot reveal my sources. But I would definitely recommend the Pioneer Saloon if you're ever in Ketchum, <laughs> Idaho. Carson, thank you so much for joining. It was great to catch up with you.
2: Thanks, fellas. Have a
0: great day. All right, Carson. You too, Carson.
1: Great guy. Great guy, Carson Palmer. So here we go. Monday night football. You kind of mentioned it, JB. I'm still
0: in awe. <laughs> How did you find that location? How do you...
1: Uh, well, well he was there. out
3: there backpacking or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I was out there. Yeah. I was out there. With, no, he was right. You were
1: there. With my bear spray. Yeah. My fishing line. He had all that. Snowshoeing. <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Told
3: you he's very sneaky. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people out there. Not a lot of people out there. So you mentioned COVID B.A. COVID free. COVID free. You mentioned B.A. tonight. Obviously, Tom Brady uh, and Bruce Arians. Tonight, it's going to be the Bucks. And it's going to be the Rams on Monday Night Football. And we're going to get into this with our special guest here in just a couple of minutes. But I want to mention this game, as you may have heard, Mm -hmm. is going to be the first game in the 101-year history of the National Football League in which every single official on the field is going to be African-American. Now, this is something the league uh, announced a little over a week ago, and it's gotten tremendous acclaim. And before I talk to one of the most prominent African-American Officials in league history, I just want to give a shout out a little history lesson here, if you will, if you would oblige so much, especially with you two fellas. It's important to mention tonight a guy by the name of Burt Toller. Burl Toler, B-U-R-L. Burl was the first African-American official ever. In the NFL. And he was an outstanding player himself. Key, you would appreciate this. A guy that's a former player that went on to do great things. He played for the 1951 University of San Francisco Dons, which is generally known as a basketball school basketball in the 60s, school. right? But this is the University of San Francisco Dons. He played with Gino Marchetti. He played with Ollie Matson. Those guys were inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame the uh, athletic publicity director. So like the communications director for that team, Pete Rosell, who went on to become the NFL mm-hmm. commissioner. So I just want to give a tip of the cap to Jerome Boger, who will be tonight's crew chief. We're going to talk to Mike Carey, who was one of the most prominent African-American officials in the NFL in just a moment, but just a tip of the cap, because always, as you guys know, in sports, somebody has got to come first. Somebody has got to come first. And Bert, Burl Toller, who is no longer with us, he has died, but I just wanted to mention, he's the first African-American official in NFL history. And tonight, fellas, Every single guy on the field will be an African American official. It's a great. It's a really great moment. No, it's
3: cool. It's it's really going to be cool. Um, you know, and and when you think about it, it's you know things have come a long ways just in general in life and society as sure. a whole. But to be able to uh, put an entire crew together just shows you how far and how long the NFL has gone to do these things. I mean, it it's a it's it's great, and they put it on a national stage. They didn't like have it on a Sunday, buried in the Detroit Lion, uh, I don't know, give me a bad team, Detroit and Jets game, you mm-hmm. know, in Detroit. They kind of Monday night, big stage. That's going to be cool. It's going to be real cool. I,
0: I think it's monumental. There's also a part of me, <laughs> it's kind of like my dad, where I'm like, man, it's 2020, it, it took that long to do something like that. I guess you had to deal with intent, but the fact that it's done – like it, that's what it should be, though, right? I mean, you your referees should look like how the comf- the country looks, and it should be diverse. And you know, it, it, that's the way it should
3: be. Well, I think I think it it probably you know in, in terms of the NFL, um, the diverse part of it. How many people are out there that's African American that really, how many really uh, wanted to become referees, so to speak? Right? Do, is there enough? Uh, to your point, though, Jay, maybe it should have been done a while ago. But it's being done tonight. I understand. So, yeah, yeah, I'm that's with you. That's that's the fun part about it. It's being done tonight. I it, this is going to be a little bit controversial,
0: but it's like I, I see it. I recognize it. I don't know if I just stand up and applaud it. Like, yeah, like I I feel like these are things like when you're when you're a leader as far as organizations, like you have to do things with intent, right? And that's why I said it's 2020. It just but feels it like takes,
3: sometimes though, Jay, it, it takes, takes to be pushed. I agree. It takes right, you take certain things to get people's attention. That's true. And then they realize, right? They realize, you know what? We might want to think about doing this. And maybe Troy Vincent mentioned it to him, and and got him to push to do it. And because everything else that's going on in our country, it's like, okay, all right, yeah, we're gonna do it. Think about some of the commercials that you see now. Some of the commercials that you see now you would have never seen 15, 20 years ago at all. You just wouldn't, you, you're just like, no, nah, they would never run that. Mm. They would never show that. But now it's like everything that we've gone and we've been dealing with over the last year and a half, a year or so, or even longer than that, but what has happened over the last year has certainly pushed the envelope on a whole bunch of stuff.
0: No, and I'm with you. I guess, you know, when you first made mention of it, Last week, I was kind of, I was shocked almost in the gram. Like, oh, we haven't had this before. But no. the real, I, yeah, I understand because they
3: usually what it would be reserved for is Black History Month, mm-hmm. and there's no football being played. Maybe the NBA or, or 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 something like that you would look at and say, oh, all black officiating crew in the NBA. But guess what? That's all the time in the NBA. You get three, four brothers. How many is it in basketball? Three, right? Or four? Three. three, three. three. Yeah, you yeah. get three officials on the basketball court all the time. But in football, it's not like that. So if it was like in the past, and if, let's say, for instance, Black History Month was doing football season, I guarantee you 100% you would have seen it.
1: Indeed. Let's head to the Shell Pennzoil performance line. As I mentioned, Burl Toler was the first, the most prominent, likely is Mike Carey. You may not recognize the name, but if you've watched football at any point oh, in the last Mike. several years, well, you do, Key, yeah. you certainly recognize Mike, Mike, good morning. I, I want to mention up
3: a, few, a few calls that I was on. Uh, no, time. no, come on!
1: He, the refs is always the refs are always yeah, right. They're yeah, human. Yeah. You got to cut them a break. Mike, good morning. Uh, Jerome Boger is the crew chief. But before I ask you this question, I just want to make sure we mention every single name of the guys that are going to be out there. And Mike, I know you're watching with a lot of pride. So Jerome Boger the crew chief, Barry Anderson is the umpire, the down judge is Julian Mapp, the line judge is Carl Johnson, the field judge is Dale Shaw, the side judge is Anthony Jeffries, and the back judge is Greg Steed. As an African-American official yourself, when you see these guys trot onto the field tonight, what does it mean to you?
4: Well, first of all, hello, fellas. And hey, Keyshawn, get your act together, bro. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> it, it is really a seminal moment, and it's for Uh, all Americans, I think, and especially for those seven who are going to take the field. Anytime you have a landmark game, you are just proud as hell to be there. Can I say hell on ESPN? You can. yeah. yeah. Can you (laughs) say
0: worse, Mike? Don't worry about it.
4: (laughs) And for them, I'm just so happy because anytime you get seven men and women, I say women because if you think about it, it's going to happen and want it When we think about it, that's going to happen, too. It just brings great pride and joy to, should be, to all Americans.
3: Mike, is it more special that it's on a primetime Monday night football game and the the world will be watching and it gets more attention? Keyshawn,
4: you know, the bigger the game, (laughs) the bigger the enjoyment is. You know, if if you are a competitor and you want to contribute – you want the biggest play on the biggest game on the biggest night. Yes. It makes a lot more difference to everybody who's on the field.
0: Mike, you know, he and I were just kind of having this conversation and I wanted to get your temperature on it. See, for me, I I sit here and obviously it's a monumental thing to have the first all-black officiating crew. But there's also a part of me, when I heard Zubin say this the other day, I was kind of taken back. I'm like, it's 2020. Shouldn't this be things that have already happened? Like, it's... Should we really applaud something that should be normal in our game? how do you how do you feel
4: about that? Jay, I think you hit it on the head. I think it's there's two sides of this coin. first of all, yes, we, we want to really applaud it, really shout it from the mountaintop because it is important because it hasn't happened before, and we want to make sure all of them, America and the world knows that this should be the norm and When you think about the other side of it is that, yeah, it's 2020 and this is the first time it's happened. It's not that there aren't enough quality black officials to have seven black officials on multiple games for multiple years, but there has not been the will to let that happen. And I think anytime you have change and positive change, it requires a lot of risk and the NFL has not shown the ability to risk maybe this uh, gruntling part of their base to do something that's best for society and they have changed the way they operate with this move and we just hope that it's not the last of the moves you know they made the first move back in 1965 by Hyam Burrow, who was Burl Toller the very first African-American professional official but it took him 25 years to let Johnny Greer uh, Johnny become the first African-American referee and since then there have been many opportunities for that to happen and they have systematically kept the count of black officials to maybe one or maybe two on the field at a time which is defies the law of averages and numbers Mark. but now they're making a big move and I think that's very important and um, let's hope they continue this literally. For instance done a good thing. Roger Goodell's done a good thing. they got to do more good things.
3: Mike Carey, former NFL referee, joined us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Uh, Mike, you were the first African-American referee to work the Super Bowl. Uh, How big was that at that time for you?
4: Well, it's the biggest game in the land, so it's, it's big for every official that steps on the field. But because of the significance of it, you know, You know, I got there because I rode on the shoulders of some great officials uh, and African-American mentors who have helped me get to where I got, you know. The first one should have been Johnny, you know, why'd they wait so long? And, but when I got the the call, I was happy to represent uh, my family, my community, and and all African-Americans. A sign that not only for African Americans, but little kids at home, black people of color, women, now they can think that everybody can do this in sports. I have that opportunity everywhere in life. Was the same year that Barack got elected too. That's pretty nice.
3: Oh, was it? I didn't know that. I didn't know it was the same. Yeah, that's
1: pretty good, huh? 2008. Yeah, Yeah. excellent. Yeah. Super Bowl 42. Yep. Hey, last thing for you. Um, This is something a lot of people may not know about you. And, you know, for many people, not for the fellows I'm sitting here with that have been fighting this fight and people that have been asking for more equality. But in years past, it came out a few years ago after you retired, went into television a little bit that for years you had asked off of Redskins games. I'm going to use the term Redskins in this particular term because it adds context. You went to the league years ago and says, do not put me and do not make me officiate any games involving the Washington Redskins. People have come to a reckoning with that in 2020, Mike, but what was the impetus for you to go to the league years ago and say, I don't want to do that?
4: Well, it, it, it took me a while to really figure it out, and then it took me a while to realize that by me going to the league, it could very well have meant the end of my career. However, you know, there are that's another social justice issue. Uh, Native Americans have been really disenfranchised, and by having such a derogatory name of a team, one of the last in America to do that, um, I, j- I just couldn't. For everybody who fought for African Americans in the Civil Rights era and continuing on today, I just realized that I just could not um, be on the field supporting that uh, situation. And so uh, it was a tough decision, but you know, we have to do tough things if we want to have good change. It's hard work to change.
1: There's no doubt about it. Someone's got to be first. As I mentioned, Burl Toller was first. You mentioned Greer. You mentioned your impact at Super Bowl 42, and these seven men tonight with the world watching. Really appreciate your perspective this morning, Mike. Thank you very much.
3: Mike, thank you so pick much, up Mike. that flag. Keisha, <laughs> <laughs> don't make me throw it.
4: <laughs>
1: Good stuff. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>
3: All right, see you guys. Uh, he, was, he was a fun ref, though. You know, it was one Did of he the, talk to you? Oh, my God, yes. He always gave me the benefit of the doubt on stuff, though. He was always protective. He was like the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any hidden agendas. Some, You know, some refs at times, they just they feel like they have hidden agendas. But when Mike, Mike was cool. He got it right. He got it right all the time.
0: I give him a lot of credit. I mean, just hear him say, you know, yeah, I was the first black referee in a Super Bowl game mm-hmm. in 2008. Mm-hmm. Just let that settle in for a minute. I didn't hold
3: him. Yes, she did. <laughs> I didn't hold him. Yes, she did.
0: What? Well, how it. did I hold him? What do you
3: mean? You put your arms around him. You know, just. <laughs> I remember one time he told me I was coming over to argue a call. He just gave me the hand. Uh, just like don't come either. over here. Oh,
0: he... well, we had somebody like that in six college feet away. Basketball. Watch Teddy Va- out, Teddy Valentine. TV he Teddy. Would... Oh, he would do that to you in a heartbeat. Like, Teddy, no, 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 no. Like, it was just, I mean, (laughs) characters, I love it.
1: Yeah, they used to call this guy TV Teddy because he loved showing up on TV when he was demonstrative with calls. And as you can see with Mike Carey, it's holding, 10-yard penalty, and of course, Key, it's still first (laughs) 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 down. It is still... First down. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We're also presented by Sport Clips. Remember being at Sport Clips waiting for that great MVP haircut experience. How about making that wait time even shorter? Now with on-deck text alerts, get a 15-minute heads up when it's time to head in and another text alert when you're next in line. Sport Clips, it's good to be a guy. As crazy as this sounds on the surface, and it doesn't seem possible because they're both in the NFC why tonight's Monday Night Football game is actually a Super Bowl rematch. We'll explain when we return on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every
3: industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer.
1: doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle. Tonight La Quinta. Tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. The Rams have been playing some really good football. So have the Bucks. Here we go on Monday night football with the first African American officiating crew in NFL history, all of them, including the crew chief, Jerome Boger, African-American. It's a big thing. We talked about it with Mike Carey, who was an African-American. That was the official, the referee of Super Bowl Forty Two. Lou Riddick is here, also breaking barriers as an African-American analyst on Monday Night Football. Boger McFarland has been there. O.J. Simpson has been there. That list is not very long, and Lou is is on that list. He joins us this morning. <laughs> Biggest stage in sports. Monday Night Football preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. And no, I am not comparing him in any way to Ornithal James Simpson. I just started laughing.
3: I just started well, laughing. I looked at I know Lou probably sitting there going, yeah, I'll take the booger comparison, but the other guy, not on, so man. much. Yeah, I was like, easy, Zoom. Easy, Zoom. Easy,
1: Zoom. <laughs> easy. <laughs> OJ would say allegedly, but this is officially oh, oh. Who is officially joining us. Oh, <laughs> for the Monday Night Football preview. Let's try to get this thing back on the tracks before I careen it off yeah, the road here. Man. All right, here we go. So it's a Super Bowl rematch as I mentioned. It's not really a Super Bowl rematch between the Bucks and the Rams. It's a Super Bowl rematch between Tom Brady and Jared Goff. Lou, You remember in that Super Bowl, the 10-3 win for the Pats. One of the craziest stats in uh, modern NFL times. In that Super Bowl, there was one play run in the red zone. One play run in the red zone the entire game. That was a Sony Michelle big touchdown to help win it. Of the Pats. As Brady and Goff see each yep. other again tonight a couple years later, what's the feeling?
5: There's a lot on the line, and I think both coaching staffs have admitted that, especially you know, the Bucks have some big time games coming up. This could be a statement game for the Rams because they beat up on the NFC on the NFC East. Yes, they beat Seattle and they beat them convincingly last week because they looked very good doing so. But this is a statement game for them. Like I said, the Bucks feel like right now they're about to hit a, a streak where they're going to really define their season. They're a young football team outside of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, uh, guys guys who don't have a lot of big game experience. So they want to find out a lot about themselves tonight. And but despite that, you're, you're going to have two teams that are very good on defense. I mean, the Rams are playing defense. I think in a way that the country's going to find out is, is pretty darn good. And we know how Todd Bowles plays his style of defense. I think this could be a game where the offense is really get going, and you could see you know, combined 70-point type type of game. I hope it is that way just because I know that's what fans want. So I know us down here right now getting ready to head over to the stadium in a few hours, you know, we're we're chomping at the bid to get going on this game for sure.
3: Lewis, you talk about huge implications in this game as far as the race for the number one seed goes in the NFC. Which team needs it more? (sighs) You know, I I would probably – You
5: know, for a number of different reasons, Keyshawn, I think, I think Tampa does because they need the momentum to continue with this football team because of how young it is. Because although Tom has a lot of experience and and like I said, Gronk has the experience, this is still a team that's really trying to figure out, they're really trying to come together and really establish who they are, especially in these big game moments. And they're so green, so young on defense. They need to come out, and they need to not only win this game, they need to play fast right from the get-go and not put it on Tom's shoulders to come lead them back second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter with a bunch of big plays and have to throw the ball over the yard. So I think they really do. I think the Rams know who they are right now. It's just whether or not it's going to be good enough, we're going to find out. But they know that they're a run-first team, play-action team, play to the strength of their defense, which right now is playing lights out. So they know who they are. It's just are they good enough to compete with the big boys in the NFC overall? They think they are. You know how confident Sean is, McVay. So th- this is this is a heavyweight battle for for sure tonight.
3: It's big boy ball, as you like to say. When you look, when you think about the getting at Tom Brady and disrupting things, putting the pressure on him, being around his foot, knocking him down, picking him back up and knocking mm-hmm. him down again. Is there a better team equipped for this other than the Rams?
5: No, because they can assault the middle of the pocket better than anybody with Aaron, with Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. I mean, these two guys, Aaron in particular, it's hard to get away from from Aaron and hard to help with him in a way that you could help with a wide rusher. And if you look at the Saints game uh, two weeks ago, that's what the Saints did to Tom. They assaulted the A and B gaps over and over and over again. Ali Marpet may not play tonight. They're starting left guard, who right now is playing at an all pro level. So now they have to make two moves to, to really take care of one position. They move the center, Ryan Jensen, the left guard, put A.Q. Shipley at center. That makes them weaker. And that, if you're Aaron Donald, you're going perfect. That's exactly what I want. Now I'm going to figure that now Brandon Staley, the D coordinator, is going to try and figure out ways to get Aaron one on one against A.Q. Shipley or Ryan Jensen. And that's not, that's not what Tom wants. I mean, you know how that is. You were just talking about it. So they're set up to really give this offense fits. Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, going to have to come up with answers. Again, what makes this game all the more intriguing?
0: Lou, the Raiders fell a little bit short to the Chiefs last night, but there's no doubt the Raiders are on the right track. How much credit does Gruden deserve for them being on this path?
5: Oh, he deserves a ton. You know, him Him and uh, and Mike Mayock, the GM out there together, have over the past two years, they've put together a nice roster that has been put together in such a way to counteract exactly what Kansas City can do, which is first and foremost, lights you up like a Christmas tree whenever they feel like it because of all the firepower they have. So they knew that they needed to get younger and faster, particularly on offense, to where they could run it and strike you in the, big, in the passing game downfield. And they've got the people who can do that now, and the quarterback now is willing to do that. And you heard him last night, and you were listening to the audio. Derek is in total command of that offense now, and people don't want to always give him credit. He's been easy to kind of criticize during his career for whatever reason people want to criticize him, whether it be connections to his brother with during his time in Houston, whatever it is. But he's playing at an all-pro level right now, and he showed that last night defensively they still have a little bit more work to do they still need some more firepower up front as far as rushing the passer but they're right there now you know in a one-off single elimination type of situation I don't care if you're Pittsburgh Baltimore Kansas City whoever in the AFC you the Colts you don't want to play the Raiders because in a one-off game they have as much firepower to beat anybody and it's not the same old Raiders that's for sure
3: Lewis Riddick, ESPN Monday Night Football Analyst, not Orentho James Simpson. Oh, come on. Uh <laughs> Z <laughs> Joining us here on Keyshaw. Jay Will, it's Zubin. What should Doug Peterson do with Carson Wentz, man? What should he do?
5: Bro, I wish I knew. Um, that's a tough situation for them. Because he he's not look, he, he, even when it's clean and it's all right, sometimes you know, Carson makes a throw where you're just like, What what what's that? What are you doing? I mean, you just missed the guy for whatever reason. Then he'll go and he'll try to make plays that you know aren't there to be made. Then he puts his team in jeopardy because he turns the ball over. And we know that offensive line-wise, you saw it yesterday. You saw how bad this offensive line looked. It's not the same. I mean, as much as I love Jason Peters, he's not the same left tackle that he was, you know, eight years ago when I was in Philly. So there's so many things breaking down around him. But on top of it, Carson isn't doing the things that he necessarily needs to do, given what the expectations are for him, considering the money they gave him. So right now, but the alternative is to turn to Jalen Hurts, who isn't ready. They know he's not ready. That's why when they drafted him, they knew he wasn't going to be ready to to play in this offense to the level that they need to be, that they need that position to execute, which is why people criticize them like they did for drafting him in the first place, given all the other things that they needed. They're in a bad spot. Keyshawn, they're just in a flat-out bad spot right now because now you, you see what's happening? The Redskins are actually... The Redskins, excuse me <laughs> Don't worry, the we Washington all do football it. Team is, yeah, the fo- Washington football team is playing a little bit better. The Giants, love them or hate them, love Joe Judge or hate them, Martin, his situation Mark Colombo, all that BS, they're playing a lot better. And all of a sudden yesterday, Dallas decided to show up this year. The Eagles could wind up you know missing the playoffs totally, which wouldn't be a shock to anybody. And so now they're in a real bad spot. Now they got – next Monday night we'll be in Philly covering them against Seattle. So they're in a tough spot, and it isn't looking real good. There's no
1: doubt about it. That's a huge game between Seattle and Philadelphia a week from tonight. But first – Tonight's huge game <laughs> between the Bucks and the Rams. Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Lou Riddick, Lisa Salters, and a magical historical moment for the NFL with an all African American officiating crew should be quite the scene. We'll look for you tonight, mm-hmm. Lou. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Right.
5: Thanks a lot.
1: The Monday Night Football Preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Drivers <laughs> who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. We have to bid adieu to Jay Will. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning, tomorrow right?
0: Tomorrow morning. Yep going to see my little son on the way to be
1: how about that already Let's got an anatomy girl? scan
0: key stop you no
1: know, i'm saying it's 94 we're, <laughs> we're going again, to break
3: 10 we're going clock. to break dog you leave her early come in leave her see that's why we can't okay <laughs> last hang on. one
1: in first one out <laughs> hey, stop hang on a second jay's got to recite these words after i tell you dabo made some eyebrow raising comments this weekend and now his boss is raising some eyebrows with comments of his own
6: have you ridden an electric e-bike yet Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
1: You know, normally when we say one more thing before we let you go, it's sort of a flipping thing. It's something we're thinking about. It's something not that serious, but it's a little different this morning. and J. Will, and Zubin, presented by Progressive Insurance. So over the weekend, the big story with Florida State and Clemson should have been. The return to action for Trevor Lawrence, he'd been out with COVID. You saw what they did against Boston College rallying to win. That double overtime loss to Notre Dame, as Key mentioned, perhaps a rematch with Notre Dame in the ACC title game. But we wanted to see Trevor back, putting himself back in the Heisman contention. But the game was called off between Florida State and Clemson because according to our Andrea Adelson, who covers the ACC for ESPN, a Clemson offensive lineman tested positive for COVID-19 On Friday, that's after he showed symptoms and practiced with the Tigers during the week. Clemson tested him again, showed up negative. After that, Clemson takes the buses down to Tallahassee. $300,000 transportation trip. Why? Because Clemson used nine buses to be socially distant. Nine buses to bring the 85 and all the support staff down there. Florida State balked and said, we don't want to play the game. Dabo Sweeney said, we've undergone all the protocols that are necessary. You don't want to play the game because you are scared of us. Listen to this.
5: This game was not canceled because of COVID. COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. And to be honest with you, I don't think it has anything to do with their players. I have no doubt that their players wanted to play and would have played. And same with the coaches. To me, the Florida State administration forfeited the game. And if they want to play Clemson, in my opinion... They need to come to Clemson, or they need to pay for all expenses. Other than that, there's no reason for us to play them. We were there, we were ready, and we met the standards.
1: Key, there's going to be some fallout from this. Let me get your thoughts before we hear late breaking this morning from Dabo's boss.
3: Uh, Dabo is just, I mean, look, man, he likes to talk, and a lot of it is recruiting tools and it's the showmanship of college football. This is this is who we are. We're Clemson. We're, we're big back Clemson, Florida State. You know the the Bobby Bowden days are over. We're not we're not afraid of you anymore. That's all it is. It, it, Clemson recruits big in the Florida area, and they go up against Florida State for some of the talent in that area. So that's all it is. And and you know as far as paying the money back and doing all that, I mean just. Calm down, man.
1: It's a great point you make. For a program like Clemson, you would think they would recruit nationally. Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, USC, they all recruit nationally. But if you look at Clemson's roster, it's a lot of, like, ETN's from Louisiana, Trevor Lawrence is from Georgia. They get a lot of guys from that regional part of the country. They don't leave the Southeast very much.
3: They'll they'll go if if you're in, because it's a long ways to go, to come and get a kid from California. DJ went all the way from California, from L.A. to South Carolina. I mean, go figure. That's a long ways to go. You're flying over a lot of schools to get there. You may get one. You know, you may get two guys that are are, are really want to be a part of something special and winning championships. I get it. But as far as trying to build your team like that, no, they're going to stick right around – The Carolinas, the Georgia area within, they may come grab a guy from Jersey or something, but for the most part, they're going to play their region.
1: Indeed. So Clemson was more driven to play Saturday, clearly. More driven brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. So you heard Dabo essentially say, look, Florida State is scared of us. Florida State firing back and saying, look, we're ready to play you in December. We just didn't want to play you last Saturday. Dan Radikiewicz is Clemson's athletic director. This morning, he was on Packer and Durham on the ACC network and defended Dabo.
2: He's passionate, and that's what makes him great. That's what makes him the, the great coach that he is for the student-athletes that um, wear the purple and, and orange and, and the people here because he is the, their biggest advocate, and he should be. So I think that you know his, his comments, while maybe a little disheartening to some, really were his feelings.
1: That is Dan Radakovich, the Clemson AD on Packer and Durham on the ACC Network. Quick aside, uh, Packer is Mark Packer, Billy Packer's son. Looks exactly like him. So <laughs> Just a little <laughs> note for the college basketball fans, since the season is starting in two days. Now, one interesting thing that Radakovich also said was this. Dabo was talking over the weekend as if Florida State had no right to play the game because Clemson had passed all of the protocols and everything that had been met had been set, and there had been games in the ACC played this season with exactly Clemson's situation. Here's the positivity, here's the testing, here's what happened. Those games went on. Why in the world wouldn't this game go on? And key, this just stands to reason. In the ACC, you cannot, quote-unquote, test out. Do you remember when Nick Saban tested out a few weeks ago? Three negatives, he's good, he'll coach against Georgia. The ACC won't let you test out. The SEC clearly will for coaches. The Big Twelve says you got to have fifty-three guys and seven offensive linemen. The Big Ten says you're out for three weeks. It's just a total jumbled mess.
3: It is, but if Florida State says that they have positive tests on their team and they don't want to play, okay, that's good. That's smart. That's good and it's smart. They don't want to spread it to your team. They want to be. They want to be active in making sure that things are healthy and. and, and Go away before they step back on the field. What's wrong with? I don't understand what's wrong with that. This this shouldn't be anything wrong with that because Florida State decided that you know what, yeah, we probably don't want to. We don't want to play the guy to the kid. The kid tested on positive on Friday. Correct. You were, were to play on Saturday. It wasn't like he tested on Wednesday. It was Friday. I understand that you spent money. Okay, how much money have the university made? They can't write down $300,000? Should
1: be a rounding error for
3: them. I mean, like seriously, like $300,000 to Clemson over the last 10 years of the money that they've made from that university and football appearances in these bowl games and everything. They got plenty of money. Quick they got of a huge surplus.
1: Real quick, because you got a ton of swag, ton of confidence. If you're a Florida State player and saying, come on now, we're scared of you. I understand Clemson's a better team, but if I'm you're not, a kid,
3: I'm not listening to that. No, I, I'm not listening to that. It's not. It has nothing to do with being scared. It has something to do with the situation that we're in with COVID. Like, wake up. Like, wake up. That's so. It, but that's that part of the region. They think differently. That's all I can say.
1: That's fair enough. If you're wondering, Trevor Lawrence is. Return, instead of coming against Florida State last Saturday, will come against Pittsburgh. This Saturday, we'll break down Monday Night Football when we see you first thing tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Well, Eastern. Well, Lewis,
0: never mind. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can hear the show live weekdays
5: at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN News, or wherever you stream your audio.